All right. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning to study your word. We pray that you would bless us in the richness of your word, in the many ways that it saves us, especially in the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to take our sins and bring us home to you. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. All right. So let's see, there's some handouts. Um, here's my plan. I'm going to, I, I uh, planned way more than I can accomplish today so that I can teach for about uh, six sessions in a row. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. So you know what? Um, I have to say, since he's not, he's, his ears are going to be burning, but working with Pastor Nelson is one of the coolest things because he has, he, the ideas that he comes up with are just uh, stellar out of this world. And so I get to come along and just sort of ride in the, ride in the wake and have fun. This is really, this is, this is great. So here's what we're going to do. Um, do you have any questions first? Do you have any questions? If you could, um, if you can, it, oh, I should tell you, I have, I'm sort of double booked this morning. I'm preaching at Concordia University at 11 o'clock. Mary says it takes me a solid 45 minutes to get there. I mean, they're not going to start without me, so <laughs> she's shaking her head, so I'll get there on time, um, but that means I probably, should leave, I probably should leave at 10 after 11, okay, or 10 after 10, 10 after 10, okay, and then I'm going to just go, all right, um, so it's not you, it's, I got other things to do, um, correct, good Friday, come to church, and then uh, the following week, which would be the 21st. Come back to Bible study. Okay? All right. So what are your questions? How about this? Can you, if you can um, give me your impression or a summary, a quick, a brief summary of the the main things that you've taken away from Bible study over the last month or so. What, uh, what's been most insightful? What have you, what have you pulled from it? Okay. Yeah. Good. That's and that's a male and female in God's image, and and that's a, that's a great way to phrase it because, or I mean, that's a that's a great way to start because that entails all courts, all sorts of things, right? Being made in the image of God means what kinds of thing, kinds of things does that mean? Male and female, for one thing. What else? Yeah. My identity is not my own to determine. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it comes from comes from God. Now, this is interesting because, so uh, you have in front of you, I think, a handout. Um, Pastor Nelson and I both, uh, I, we both listened to NPR on the way to church, it turns out. And on Sunday morning a few weeks ago, Krista Tippett on being, you know Krista Tippett? She has this famous, uh, this best-selling book on, called Becoming Wise. She hosts this, this radio show, um, yeah, and it airs on Sunday mornings on my way to church. And she interviews a lot of people and asks them really specifically spiritual questions, which is always, it's always very interesting. Um, and the, she happened to be interviewing uh, this transgender man. And uh, the conversation that I heard, the part of the conversation that I heard was like, it was like taking this Bible study, taking the stuff that you've been talking about and just um, having an immediate application for it. And I came to church, and Pastor Nelson was like, you ever heard of Krista Tippett? And I said, 
Yeah, I just, and, and so we, and we were, he was like, we've got we to do it. Um, so I have for you, the, so the transcript from the radio show, and I'm going to play for you clips from it. You see my jotted numbers along the side. Those are the clips I'm going to play for you. Um, it's helpful to hear it and not just read it. But um, one of the key things that we'll discover is that the discussion around gender and gender identity is actually much more, it's much more expansive and has to do with the question of identity in general. So uh, people find themselves asking this question, am I identified chiefly by my biology, right? This is sort of an obvious way to, uh, to uh, an obvious indication of who you are, is your biology, how you look, how you're, made, how you're constructed, how your body functions, right? Obviously, that has something to do with who you are. Um, and in fact, if you remember what the point that Pastor Nelson made about um, self-realization, right? So you are your body, right? Your, your body is not just some interchangeable. I keep on thinking of this. Uh, we play with Legos a lot. So you got, let's see if I can draw. Nope, I can't do it. Here's some Lego legs. And then here's a Lego torso like that. Okay, you didn't, you didn't come here to watch me draw. And then here's a Lego head. Okay, that's right. Okay, so now when it comes to Legos, the parts are interchangeable, right? I can produce some interesting results by swapping out legs, right? Taking Iron Man's legs and replacing them with Batman's legs. That's, or putting, um, you know, long flowing locks on Batman's head. That's also a lot of fun. So you can, you can do this. You can swap out these parts because these parts are, are interchangeable, right? Now, when it comes to biological identity, um, the, the, the question is whether or not you're identified by your whole person or whether you are a composite of interchangeable parts. And I don't just mean body parts, but body, soul, spirit, personality, um, all of the things that you might, depending on who is asking you in what context, you might describe yourself, right? So if, if you're trying out for the football team, you're going to describe yourself as, you know, using your physical attributes. But if you're applying for a job, you're going to talk about your personality and your, your motivation. If you're, um, if you're talking to the person that you're, you're hoping to marry, you're going to talk about your, your uh, commitment and your feelings, right? So you have all these different parts of you, and the sense that people always get, the sense that we're inclined to is that you are a composite of these parts, like a Lego man, right? And those parts are interchangeable. So you can have, um, you, you, could ha- you can just, you could switch personalities and be, the, be a different person. But in fact, uh, it's not that you have uh, this, it's not, it's not that you have this composite of people which are different persons. If you just swap them, you get this interesting combination. But what you get is, Nothing. Not, it's not the original thing anymore. It's not a new person. It's not, um, it's not, some, it's not a, an invention. It is not a person, right? So, it, and it, it's sort of beyond our comprehension how that, how that could work. Um, so there, there are these different ways of identifying biologically. Socially is another way that um, you, you find your identity, right? You are who you are thought to be, um, there's a say, famous biologist, the looking glass self, right? So, and people, you, you, you see this in yourself all the time. You recognize who you are based on who others, what others say about you. 
Um, and then there is this, what we find in this conversation with this transgender man is that uh, both of those are to be rejected. Those are not who I really am. Who I really am is who I, who I experience myself to be, which is another legitimate possibility, right? So if you've got all these different ways of dis- discerning your identity, of discovering yourself biologically, socially, experientially, which one Trump? Which one comes first? Which one is most important? And this is, you know, this is sort of the natural state of things if you don't if you don't understand the person as a whole and not merely the sum of parts. Does this make sense? You following? You tracking? Okay. Now, interestingly, um, this is not a new discussion, and I think this is a really important um, important thing to remember. In fact, on the you have a page of, with two quotations on it. Um, and I don't. So the second quotation comes from Bishop Robert Barron, and he's talking about Gnosticism and St. Irenaeus. St. Irenaeus lived in the second century a long time ago, right at the beginning, right? Before, before the Nicene Creed was formulated, the conversation was about uh, who, are, who are the real heirs of the apostles? Who's, who's actually saying what the apostles were saying? And there was this um, really divergent, uh, diverse movement um, that tried to understand things, that understand Christianity and the life of Christ in really, really philosophical, mythological terms. And one of the main points that they made was uh, what we called Gnostic dualism, right? Uh, which is simply talking about two things. So there is in the world matter, physical things, fleshly things, sarkikos, fleshly things, and spiritual things, things that aren't bound to matter. There are physical things and spiritual things. And the spiritual is the perfect, and the physical is the corrupt. So the God of the Old Testament, which delights in sacrifice, right, is corrupt because he loves fleshly things. But Jesus comes along and says to the woman at the, at the well, right, remember, there, come, there will come a day when you worship the Father in spirit and in truth, right? Forget about bodies. And Jesus says in John 6, the flesh profits, I profiteth, I hear it in King James. The flesh profiteth man nothing, right? Flesh profits you nothing. This is a whole, whole argument against the Lord's Supper. The flesh is worthless. Why would we want to eat Jesus' body and blood, right? So, there was, so there's this divergence and diverse um, set of teachings trying to sort out how this, how this works. And it becomes this really sort of coherent thing. If the flesh is bad, if matter is bad, then we should put off our bodies. We should... We should just disown our bodies and aspire to what's spiritual, right? That solves the problem, doesn't it? If, it's just, if your flesh is terrible, um, if your bodies are terrible, then you, you've got the problem solved. You're, someday you're going to die, your bodies are going to be gone, and you're just going to be attaining to spiritual perfection. Your spirit's just fine right now, okay? You just need to get out of this body. So the problem with that, of course, as you know, is that you humans are body and spirit, right? You can't be human without having body and spirit. And in fact, the, the great counterpoint to what Jesus, or the great interpreter of what Jesus says to the woman at the well, we will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, 
So the question is, where's the temple? You say it's in Jerusalem. We say it's at Mount Gerizim. That's what the Samaritans say. In John 2, we read it in the devotion this morning. Jesus comes into the temple and he clears out the temple. And he says, uh, tear down this temple and in three days I will rebuild it again. And they say, it took us 46 years to build this. And he say, you're going to rebuild it in three days. And John comments on it and says, they didn't know that he was speaking about the temple of his body, right? So the fact that Jesus has a body is crucial to understanding what it means to worship in spirit and truth. You worship where Jesus is now, and the marvelous thing that informs us about the image of God and our humanity is that Jesus has body and soul, right? He's a human. He is fully human. He's not human if he doesn't have a body. And he still has a body. This is the great thing about Jesus. He's still got a body, and he gives it to you. Okay? So now take a look just for a second. You got any questions? Irenaeus. Irenaeus argues against Gnosticism in the, in the second century using arguments like I just described, uh, talking about how, the Bible, how, how Christ and Scripture um, clearly don't, don't uh, eradicate matter. When Paul talks about the flesh being weak, he's not talking about your body. He's talking about your sinful nature, right? So it's helpful for him to draw this dichotomy between flesh and spirit, but he doesn't mean it in the sense that uh, you're going to separate the two, okay? Uh, they're distinct but not separate. So here's what Robert Barron says. Toward the end of the second century, Irenaeus, the bishop of Leon, wrote a text called Adversus Heresies, and the principal heresy that he identified therein was Gnosticism. Gnosticism was and is a multi-headed beast, but one of its major tenets is that matter is a fallen, informer, inferior form of being produced by a low-level deity. The soul is trapped in matter, and the whole point of the spiritual life is to acquire the gnosis, hence Gnosticism, gnosis, knowledge, requisite to facilitate an escape of the soul from the body. On the Gnostic interpretation, the Yahweh of the Old Testament, who foolishly pronounced the material world good is none other than the compromised God described in Gnostic cosmology. And Jesus is the prophet who came with the saving knowledge of how to rise above the material realm. What Irenaeus intuited, and his intuition represented one of the decisive moments in the history of the church, a a moment that still is applicable today, is that the point of view is directly repugnant to biblical Christianity, which insists emphatically on the goodness of matter. So you're not a Christian if you say matter is bad, because God said it's good. All right? You're arguing with God, and that doesn't go well. Scan through Irenaeus' voluminous writings, and you will find the word body over and over again. Creation, incarnation, resurrection, the theology of the church, sacraments, redemption, the Eucharist, etc. All involve, he argued, bodiliness, materiality. For Irenaeus, redemption is decidedly not tantamount to the escape of the soul from body. Rather, it is the salvation and perfection of the body. So now, you can see how this applies. Uh, You can just transfer this uh, directly to um, questions about identity today, right? Who are you? Well, if you you are willing to separate body and soul, body and and mind, you you have sort of this interminable list of possibilities, right? You can be... You, what, who you experience yourself to be, you can be who others say you are, you can be what your body says you are. Um, what's the answer to the question? Okay? Everybody on board so far? Okay. So, here's what we're going to do. Let's listen to a little bit of what this transgender man says. And um, what I want you to do is to think about it 
Uh, there's a couple, a couple of caveats. So you got So for one thing, the goal is to think about it using the theological tools that you've learned in the course of this Bible study. So using the the categories that you've talked about. So there's a bunch of. Uh, so so what does it mean to? Um, what does it? What does humanity long after? What is the point of being human? What is it to be human? Right, John Paul says it's self-discovery. Uh, and where do you discover yourself? Not by sort of examining yourself but by hearing what God says about you. But, the, but this notion of self-discovery, this is a universal experience. Everybody wants to know who they are, right? Um, you, I mean, you hear this all the time. I'm, st- I'm figuring out who I am, right? I'm learning, I'm learning who I am, okay? Um, so you'll hear that. Now, the other side to it is, so I have, I, you're going to think about it theologically, but then also um, think about it in terms of the fact that this is, uh, this is a real person who is sort of experiencing one manifestation of the same thing that everybody faces, right? The desire, the intent to define who you are on your own. And you see this, I mean, this is brilliant. Or, I mean, it's not brilliant. It's interesting, terribly interesting. The title of the, of the podcast or the episode, Transgender Amid Orthodoxy. You see that on the front page there, Transgender Amid Orthodoxy. It's this remarkable story. Um, he was a man who taught at this uh, Jewish university for women, and an Orthodox Jewish university transitioned to being a woman, and still teaches at the at the university. The first openly transgender um, instructor at a Orthodox Jewish institution. I I don't know how many of those there are, but um, but listen to what it says: transgender amid orthodoxy. I am who I will be. Okay, so now when you hear that, what do you think? I am who I will be. You, uh, you, all, you uh, yourself uh, decide who you would like to be. That's right. Okay. You decide who you'd like to be. Aaron? I guess there was some mistake and at some point it would be made right. Okay. Yeah, right. So I'm not myself right now, but I am who I will be, right? Some, there's another. Uh, autonomy. Yeah. You decide. Autonomy. Perfect. Self-determination. Right? Anything else? So now this is, this is the remarkable thing about it. It is not, a, it's not just some phrase that she came up with. I, so now I'm going to say, I should say, and I'm going to say he. Uh, there's something about um, the language that gets sort of stolen from us. Um, if, we, if, if you capitulate and are confused about it or are um, or, or ambiguous about it, uh, this person is a man presenting as a woman, okay? Um, so he's a he. But take a look. Or here, I'll just read it for you. You'll recognize this. Exodus 3, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should take the people of Israel to Egypt, up from Egypt? And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am, which is, so it's it's really hard to translate that in English because um, the verbs are of ambiguous tenses. And in a lot of translations, you'll see it translated as, I am who I will be. Right? Directly what she says here. Right? Now, this is, it's perfect because you said autonomy, self-determination. Right? This, uh, who I will be is the, the real me. Now, of course, in the case of God, who will he be? Who he is. 
right? He's not, he's not going to change. Now, but look at the claim that's being made for an individual, right? I am who I will be, right? Um, that, and that claim, now, that's not unique to, um, to the transgender movement. This is, this, is, this, this is common to every attempt to determine who we are. I am who I will be. Barb. Well, an interesting thing happened this week that um, was interesting that it opens to this. When my grandson came home with his spelling words, there was a spelling word on there, them-self. Mm. And I said, them-self? I said, that's a contradiction. You know, and I emailed the teacher well, you know, well, that was a mistake. It's themselves. But in the meantime, because I, I couldn't even type it into the computer. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put that up there. Yes. And it wasn't in the dictionary. But my husband said, you know, I wonder if that's one of these new transgender words. And he looked it up on his smartphone. And yes, it is. Right. Themself is a word. Meaning, no gender. That's right. So, it, yeah, it's, it is... So there's a whole new set of words now that are going to be Right. And, and, and so notice what happens when, when that kind of vocabulary is used. So it's, uh, it's an attempt to say, um, you don't get to define me. And we're going to talk about who's defining my identity. Whoever it is, it is not you. And if you use peculiar language, particular words, you're, you're doing that. You're defining who I am, and that's not permissible, right? <laughs> Right, yeah, fair, but, but interesting nonetheless, right? Yeah, right. Holly, yeah. Well, I was just saying that scripturally, you know, I am who I am. Only God really is the only one that can truly say that. Right, yeah. He is alone in his dream. Right. And Yeah, absolutely, right, yeah. And, um... To me, so I, it's, I, I was really curious about where, what, the, what the origin of this title was. I couldn't find it anywhere in the, in the interview. Um, but it's, so, it's in many ways so crass, right? It's, it's, like when the, it's like when the Pharisees hear Jesus claiming to be the Son of God and they want to stone him, right? I mean, it should, it should strike our ears as, and, and not just in this case, but universally, it should strike our ears as really dissonant whenever we hear somebody say, I am who I will be, or I'm going to, deter- I'm going to decide who I will be, because only God gets to do that, right? That's putting your, that's, I mean, this is back to the Garden of Eden, right? That dissonance is not, is not creatureliness. That's not humanity. That's divinity, and it's not yours, right? Um, but, but, again, um, I think if, we, if you spend some time thinking about it, and as we examine this, you'll discover that this train of thought underlies a lot of, it's, and it's insidious, it underlies a lot of the thinking that we take for granted in this world, right? Um, what it means to be a part of a family or what it means to be a part of a community, um, what it means to live in a city or a nation, right? Um, at, some, at some point, we all cling to some place in this world where we are self-determinant, right? Um, no, I'm not going to be my, my parent's child. I'm going to be something else. You don't, you don't get to decide that, right? Okay, any questions? All right, let's listen just a little bit. Um, we're going to listen to the first clip by way of introduction. Ready? 
For as far back as she can remember, Joy Layden says her body didn't match her soul. Her story sheds unusual light on how gender shapes the lifelong work of being at home in ourselves. Six years ago, in her mid-40s, Joy Layden transitioned from male to female identity. She became the first openly transgender professor at an Orthodox Jewish institution. Joy Layden unsparingly admits the pain this caused for people and institutions she loved. And it was an incremental, imperfect process. Hormones transformed her appearance, though not her midlife vocal cords. Still, she knows what it is to move through the world with the assumed authority of a man and the assumed vulnerability of a woman. We take in what she's learned about gender and the very syntax of being. Okay, so we're going to start positive for just a second. Um, any, what strikes you about, about that introduction? Okay, so now that, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, she, she has um, figured it out, at least in the sense that She's in a better place than she was before, right? Right. But notice what Krista Tippett says: it was an incremental, imperfect process, right? And one, in fact, one of the—I think this is really interesting. One of the peculiar ways that it was imperfect, Krista Tippett remarks on. She said, "She says it didn't. It transformed her appearance, though not her midlife vocal cords, um, which is to this to um, to." to to somebody who's trying to be a woman, a really sort of a, a, a huge obstacle. And In fact, at one point in the interview, um, he says to Krista, I, your voice is the voice I aspire to, but I will never be able to have that, right? Which, um, so so that, that raises the question then of what, what has really happened. Um, is it even possible? Is it, so we, we, we suppose that it's possible to just switch bodies, right? Um, if we think about bodies as just a composite of parts. But it turns out, in fact, it's going to be imperfect. It's not going to happen, right? It's not going to work. Um, whether it's something as trivial as your vocal cords not being uh, what you'd like them to be, or, um, you know, whether it's more, whether it's more dramatic things. Um, take a look at the first quote on the page that I gave you. This is from Peter Lightheart. Um, and he, he reiterates uh, uh, quite a few things that, that John Paul says um, helpfully and then talks about bodies in this way. He says, God made a male and then a made a female. God created each individually and he created the distinction between them. The creation account makes this clear, distinguishing the origin of Adam from the ground, from the origin of Eve, from Adam. Now, this is really important, this next line. It takes some dexterity to get this right. This is what I'm talking about when I mean that a person is not a composite of, of parts, biology and spirit and um, experience. It's, it's not just slapping these things together and, and, and you get a person, but it's this di- distinction without separation. So it takes some dexterity to get this right. On the one hand, sexuality isn't simply biology. If male and female only differ by a few body parts, plus or minus, then transitioning seems as innocuous as a kidney transplant or an amputation. Sexuality is much more fundamental. God didn't make generic human stuff poured out into two kinds of bodies. He made two kinds of persons. Our maleness and femaleness is integral to the creatures we are made to be. We are created, to use John Paul II's terms, with spousal bodies designed for reciprocal self-giving. Some for masculine self-giving, others for feminine self-giving. 
Now, this comes through also in what Krista Tippett says, it's, um, and it's interesting to me that she can't avoid saying it. Um, this, this transgender man has moved through the world with the assumed authority of a man, right? So had the experience of the world accepting him um, as an, uh, with the authority that it ascribes to men, just generally, socially, and the assumed vulnerability of a woman, right? Which is uh, sort of the, the social manifestation of this reciprocal self-giving. Authority and vulnerability, right? Um, those two things are, are inherent to being male and female in some way. They show up in, in society in all kinds of different ways. Um, and he, he, he supposedly has had this experience of both of them, right? Um, of, bo- of, of one and the other. Any questions? Any thoughts? Yeah, Jan. Uh, I, I think the thing that struck me is in the first sentence where Joy says her body doesn't match her soul. Mm-hmm. Because obviously there is no doubt that the physical was male. So you have to find something to blame for the fact that you no longer, you know, that you supposedly think differently or something. So it has to be your soul or your spirit or, you know, and basically you're saying God goof. Well, and, that, and as a matter of fact, she says that explicitly. He says that explicitly. Um, and this is really, we'll get to this later. The seventh, the seventh part talks about um, his relationship with God is really uh, fascinating because that is that becomes so clear. Um, he can be thankful and joyful now because of all the things that God has given him, but not before. Before something was wrong, something was goofed up, right? The it was the the parts were intermixed; they were they were not right. Um, now, what do you think about this notion that? Um, that, that there has to be some consonance between body and soul. How, what is, what, consonance, that they have to, that they have to jibe somehow, that they, or that they could not jibe. What do you think, Martha? I mean, God created that, so, so it should be what they it is. Jive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. What about, what about the fact that um, we're, it's a fallen world? We're imperfect. So, you know, if I had one leg that was shorter than the other, I'd say this is not the way it was supposed to be, right? This is, this is clearly not how it was supposed to be. I, one leg is shorter than the other. How is this different than that? Um, it brings in, in uh, you know, the nature nurture um, idea that was this... Um, Happening. Oh, I can't think of what I want to say. Well, yeah, I think I think you're onto something there in in the sense that um, a lot of times people find this dissonance between their social identity and who they experience themselves to be. So, I mean, this is true. You all think I'm a really nice guy, but I'm you know <laughs> I, I'm just not, right? Um, so there's this dissonance between my social identity and who I really am, right? Um, and a lot of people invest a lot of weight. This We talk about this a lot, right? But a lot of people invest a lot of weight in their social identity, right? Um, who other people say they are. Uh, and that is, that's proved to, proved to be particularly traumatic for this fellow because 
um, everybody assumed that he was a man when, in fact, he knew that he was a woman, right? Holly. I wonder if perhaps he was a more vulnerable man than most, and that made him feel off. Or it could, yeah. And yet, you know, where that vulnerability came from is very nurtured. Sure. I don't know if you talk about this history. Yeah. So here, here's a little bit of his, that history, which you, you will find uh, striking. He uh, came out as a woman at age 45, having been married and having three kids. Um, so that, uh, he answers that question as well. How do, how do you do that? Uh, it's a really interesting question. Um, so, but, you, but suppose for a second that, um, that it was simply a matter of vulnerability, which it, which it could well be, right? Um, I, I don't like being in the role of uh, presumed authority. I feel like I ought to be in the role of presumed vulnerability. And that's all that's, that's right. And so, uh, and so I, you know, I belong in this category as opposed to that category. Um, it's probably it's probably more than that, but that but I, th- I imagine there are those dimensions at play. Jody, go ahead. The world puts on those. The world puts on those categories. To some degree, I mean, to some degree, they're inherent, right? Um, it, the whole question of the whole the whole discussion of, of of headship, right, and the different kinds of self-giving, right? So it's not just that men and women give in the same ways, but they they give according to their maleness and their femaleness. He seems to judge, I guess. That's right. It amplifies it in a lot of ways, right. It says what, what you should be right. according to the sinful world. Exactly. And a lot of times, I think this is, this is, this is the fair reaction of feminism in a lot of ways, is um, the caricatures that arise, right, the, the stereotypes and, that arise from that amplification. So we're going to, I, I reject those stereotypes, and so I'm going to put it off altogether. I'm not going to be that person whatsoever, right? Go ahead, Tina. Yeah, I, I guess I don't understand how you can feel disconnected from your soul. Right. And maybe I just can't grasp that. But, you know, because I grew up, and I'm not like a lot of other girls. I am can't, don't like cooking, don't like babies. Not that I don't like babies, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, that's just not my... Yeah. My thing, and, but I never thought of myself as less of a woman because of sure. female because of it. Yeah, I was like, well, that's just my personality. Sure, you know, I didn't think, oh, maybe I should be male. You know, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Go, go ahead, Marilyn. Yeah. Well, following on that, I'm just thinking of this man having been married, having been a father, and saying that's not really who I am. He doesn't know what it's like to be female. Right. I mean, to suggest that he can say, well, I'm no longer male, and now I'm female, he doesn't have a clue. Right. I mean, he just, I couldn't imagine myself saying, I'm not a woman, I think I'll be a man. Because I couldn't begin to think like a man. I couldn't begin to even associate or deny what God made me. Right. So, and that, and that. It's... I just can't understand this. Yeah. But see, he doesn't really say he's a woman. Uh, he, he does. Well, I'm just reading part of this. I mean, it, I mean that's still part of his dichotomy and, and his continual struggle. Right, right. 
so what you, what you find in his description of his experience is that there were times, moments, when he, when he now this is really interesting. Um, uh, okay. So he, ta- he talks about his kids, um, this, I don't have this clip for you, so I'll just tell you about it. He talks about his, his kids asking him to tell them, tell them stories about his childhood. And he says, this is, it's um, such, a, such an interesting perspective on things, or an interesting way he's processed things. He says, I don't have memories, peculiar memories of being a child, because basically he says, I feel like I didn't exist. Um, and later, we'll, we'll talk about this in more depth. Later he says, because when people looked at me, looked at my body, they weren't seeing me, I felt like I didn't exist. And uh, the, the, the compliment to that is he, there were times when he felt like he did exist, when he put on makeup or when he wore women's clothes. So, I mean, and it, 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 right. So, yeah, he existed. That's right. And, and uh, you know, so, that's, so, so to be, this, this is my, if I was going to, plow forward with a really cynical response, that's to be what it was, right? So if you want to be seen, just do something out of, out of the ordinary, right? Which lets you be seen. Um, and it lets you be seen for who you are. Somebody who craves, a narcissist, right? Somebody who craves being seen um, in a peculiar way. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to be more, uh, more charitable um, because I think that um, the presenting symptoms... And this is, we could talk about this some more too. The presenting symptoms are not the, the, at the core diagnosis. They don't show, get you straight to the core diagnosis, um, which really has to do with, um, a, again, a fundamental sinful human longing um, to be seen uh, and not just seen by, not just, be, not just seen in the way that we see each other, right? Which is as, you know, as objects or as um, uh, superficially, as we appear to be. Um, this is the whole notion of original nakedness, right? You remember talking about this with Pastor Nelson, original nakedness, n- naked and unashamed, as opposed to naked without shame, right? So you see uh, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve saw each other, and in seeing each other's bodies, they saw each other. They didn't see some, some you know, perversion of it or some caricature of it. They saw the person, um, and that is, you know, eminently desirable, right? To to have somebody look at me and say, "Oh yes, I know, I know who you are. I can, I, I yes, you are a person, and you are endowed with um, the image of God. You can't you can't see that by looking at me, um, but that's what that's finally what fulfills that longing, right? To have God say that to you, no less. Um, so that's. That's it's all embedded in this, in this experience, in this discussion. Okay, so this is great. I only got through one-seventh of it. Go ahead, Barb. <laughs> it, look, I don't know her, and I don't know this, but was she, was she born a Christian? Was she raised a, a Jew. A Jew. A Jew, okay. a Jew in a non-religious Jewish household. It's really interesting. Um, She's just not here. She has problems with who she or he is not necessarily gender. I mean, I keep thinking to it. Well, I grew up. I was a tomboy. I, mean, I was a tomboy. I didn't play girls. I didn't. Yeah. You know, I never thought. <laughs> but, she, I mean, 
and that's and that's why part of this discussion ought to be, uh, and, and let's let's try and let's really try and do this um, going forward. Part of this discussion ought to be, where do you see the commonalities in in, in human experience, right? In human questions about identity um, that are true true across the board, and that maybe show up in different ways in your life, and those are points of contact, right? This is this informs you how you would talk to uh, talk to him, right? Because suppose that. This is a real. This is a, a conversation you're having. Um, what do you say? You don't. You don't. Uh, you can. Rea- you, you don't just react with disgust. You also don't just react. Um, you know, nodding along, saying, "Oh yeah, you are who you will be," right? Where there's there's some there's some um, requisite middle ground response that um, that we have to we have to find. Okay. Okay, Donna, you got you got ten seconds. I was just gonna say it. Well, I would say to him or her that we all find it very difficult to to accept um, our frailties, frailties, mm-hmm. you know, who we are, and also who other people are. It's just a natural tendency to um, not to accept who God has made us to be. Right, right, and th- and that finally we don't know what He tells us and, and who we really are. Right? Yeah. And, we all have this problem. That's right, and 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 um, it is a it's it's a component of our sinfulness to say I don't want somebody else telling me who I am, I, and much less do I want God, who brought me into this world against my will, right? Uh, and and uh, you know it's miserable, right? There's suffering all around. I don't want Him telling me that I got to just be okay with who He made me to be, right? Um, but you know, of course, the Paul in Romans, who what who is who is the pot to say to the potter, why have you made me like this? Right? Let's pray. I gotta go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, not next week, but the week after.